0: chapter twelve of our friend the charlatan this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox our friend the charlatan by george gissing chapter twelve Though mrs toplady seldom rose much before midday it was not the mere luxury of repose that kept her in her chamber as a rule she awoke from refreshing sleep at eight o'clock a touch on the electric button near her hand summoned a maid who appeared with tea the morning's post and a mass of printed matter newspapers reviews magazines volumes which had arrived by various channels since noon on the previous day apparatus of perfected ingenuity speedily attached to the bed enabled her to read or write in any position that she found easiest first of all she went through her letters always numerous never disquieting for mrs toplady had no personal attachments which could for a moment disturb her pulse and her financial security stood on the firmest attainable basis such letters as demanded a reply she answered at once and with brevity which in her hands had become an art appeals for money public or private she carefully considered responding with a cheque only when she saw some distinct advantage such as prestige or influence to be gained by the pecuniary sacrifice another touch on the button and there entered a graceful woman of discreet visage with whom mrs toplady held colloquy for half an hour in that time a vast variety of concerns personal domestic mundane was discussed and set in order left to herself again mrs toplady took up the newspapers thence she passed to the bulkier periodicals lastly to literature in volume her manner of reading betokened the quick-witted woman who sees at a glance the thing she cares for and refuses to spend a moment on anything not immediately attractive people marvelled at the extent of her acquaintance with current writing in truth she never read a book but skimmed the pages just sufficiently for her amusement and her social credit in the world of laborious idleness mrs toplady had a repute for erudition she was often spoken of as a studious and learned woman and this estimate of herself she inclined to accept having daily opportunity of observing the fathomless ignorance of polite persons she made it her pride to keep abreast with the day's culture genuine curiosity too supplied her with a motive for she had a certain thin supple restless intelligence which took wide surveys of superficial life and was ever seeking matter for mirth or disdain in the doings of men her first marriage was for love it cost her seven years of poverty and wretchedness it cost her moreover all the ideals of her youth and made her a scheming cynic having by natural power and great good fortune got the world at her feet she both enjoyed and despised what seemed to her to have been won so easily the softer emotions were allowed no place in her nature by careful self-discipline she had enabled herself wholly to disregard the unhappy side of life to pass without the least twinge of sympathy all human sorrows and pains if reminded of them against her will she hardened herself with the bitter memory of her early years when as she said she had suffered quite enough for one lifetime the habit of her mind was to regard existence as an entertaining spectacle she had a most comfortable seat and flattered herself that few people could appreciate so well as she the comedy going on before her when she found an opportunity for intervention when with little or no trouble to herself she could rearrange a scene or prepare a novel situation so much the better was she pleased and all the more disdain did she feel for the fussy pompous mortals who were so easily manipulated at present she had her eyes upon a personage who amused her considerably he answered to the name of dyce lashmar and fell under the general description of charlatan not for a moment had mrs toplady been in doubt as to this classification but dyce lashmar was not quite an ordinary charlatan and seemed to be worth the observing she meant to know him thoroughly to understand what he really aimed at whether he harboured merely a gross design on lady ogram's wealth or in truth believed himself strong enough to win a place among those grave comedians who rule the world he was a very young man he had not altogether got rid of youth's ingenuousness if his ideas were his own she doubted it he had evidently a certain mental equipment which would aid him up to a certain point in every case he excelled in intellectual plausibility perhaps he might get into parliament for the amusement of the thing she would try to help him in that direction on returning from rivenoak she had at once begun to spread rumours of a coming man a new light in the political world that it behooved one to keep an eye on so seldom did mrs toplady risk her reputation by rash prophecy that those who heard of mr lashmar were disposed to take him with all seriousness certain of mrs toplady's intimates begged and were promised the privilege of meeting him to that end a ceremonious evening was appointed in pont street meanwhile lashmar had called and met with a very gracious reception he was bidden to luncheon on a day in the same week on arriving he found with surprise that he was the sole guest i wanted to have a real talk with you said the hostess as she received him in her magnificent drawing-room i have been thinking a great deal about things you said at rivenoak her fire of glances perceived that the young man though agreeably touched and full of expectancy was to a certain extent on his guard he too no doubt had power of reading faces of discerning motives she did not desire him to be too facile a victim of cajolery it would take from the interest she felt in his ambitions at table they talked at first of bio sociology mrs toplady with the adroitness which distinguished her seeming thoroughly to grasp a subject of which she knew nothing and which if she had tried to think about it would have bored her unspeakably but she soon diverged to things personal spoke of people whom she wished lashmar to meet and asked whether a date she had in mind would suit his convenience i think you know lord dymchurch very well answered dyce blandly i should like to meet him i have heard he is most interesting he certainly is said lashmar but no man is so hard to get hold of i never ventured to try to take him anywhere he very much dislikes meeting strangers tell me about him will you dyce could speak only of lord dymchurch's personal and mental characteristics of his circumstances he knew nothing more than could be gathered from rumour let me make a suggestion said mrs toplady with a flatteringly intimate air suppose you give a quiet little dinner to a few of your friends say at one of the restaurants don't you think lord dymchurch might be willing to come if i may propose myself the roguish smile was lost in a radiant archness half a dozen of us just to talk over the political situation lashmar looked delighted in reality he was seized with anxious thought as to whom he could invite for such an important occasion as is commonly the case with men of great self-esteem and modest resources he had made friends with the poorer and less ambitious of his acquaintances and these were not the sort of people to present either to mrs toplady or to lord dymchurch however he knew a man pretty well placed in the home office he knew also would you like to ask our friend mrs woolstan let fall the hostess shooting one swift glance at his busy forehead yes certainly she's charming pursued mrs toplady with her kindest air and i'm sure your views interest her mrs woolstan spoke of them oh yes she called here as i told you the day before i went down to rivenoak and as we were talking i happened to mention where i was going oh then she said you'll see my friend mr lashmar i told her that lady ogram had specially asked me to meet you of course it delighted me to hear that you knew each other so well i've always thought mrs woolstan a very clever little woman and she looks at things from such a high point of view a thorough idealist do let us have her then if i might propose another guest she paused as if afraid of presuming on lashmar's good-nature pray do i couldn't possibly have a better adviser dyce was trying to strike his note of easy comradeship but found it very difficult mrs toplady had so vast an advantage of him in manner in social resources and for all her amiability must needs regard him from a higher ground it's very nice of you to say that she resumed i was thinking of mr roach the member for belper you don't happen to know him oh that doesn't matter he's delightful about your own age i think come and meet him here at five o'clock on sunday have a talk and then send him your invitation he too is a thorough idealist you're sure to like him before lashmar left the house all the details of this little dinner were neatly settled the only point necessarily left uncertain being whether lord dymchurch could be counted upon of course mrs toplady had dictated everything even to the choice of restaurant and the very room that was to be engaged lashmar would have the pleasure of ordering the dinner and of paying the bill he thanked his stars again for mrs woolstan's cheque on the strength of that same cheque he had quitted his rooms near st pancras church and was now lodging with more dignity but doubtful advantage as to his comfort in devonshire street portland place the address he felt sounded tolerably well only in the vaguest way had he troubled to compute his annual outlay on this new basis he was become an adventurer and in common self-respect must cultivate the true adventurous spirit once or twice he half reproached himself for not striking out yet more boldly into the currents of ambition for it was plain that a twelvemonth must see him either made or ruined and probably everything depended on the quality of his courage now he began to wonder whether mrs toplady's favour would be likely to manifest itself in any still more practical way but of this his reflection offered him no assurance the probability was that in lady ogram lay his only reasonable hope on the spur of such feeling he addressed a letter to rivenoak giving an account of his luncheon in pont street and thanking the old autocrat more fervently than he yet had done for all her good offices since his return from rivenoak he had not met lord dymchurch he might of course write his invitation but he fancied that it would have more chance of being accepted if he urged it orally and as he could not call upon the peer whose private address in books of reference was merely the house in somerset he haunted the club with the hope of encountering him on the second day fortune was propitious lord dymchurch sat in his usual corner of the library and on lashmar's approach smiled his wonted greeting after preliminary gossip dyce commanded himself to courageous utterance i've been asked to come forward as liberal candidate for a little borough in the midlands hollingford it's a tory seat and i don't know whether i shall stand any chance but local people want to fight it and they seem to think that i may be the man for them as he spoke he felt that he wore an expression new to his visage a sort of smile which his lips had not the habit of framing quite unconsciously indeed he had reproduced the smile of mrs toplady its ironic good-humour seemed to put him at ease and to heighten his personal effectiveness hollingford lord dymchurch reflected i know the place by name only he looked at lashmar with a new interest constantly worrying about his own inactive life and what he deemed his culpable supineness as a citizen the pinched peer envied any man to whom the lower house offered its large possibilities the idea is quite novel to me lashmar continued you know something of my views my cast of mind do you think i should do well to go in for practical politics i think any man does well who goes in for anything practical was lord dymchurch's answer stand by all means and i wish you success parliament isn't overcrowded with men of original views that's very kind of you i don't want to presume upon your good nature but i wonder whether i could persuade you to dine with me to meet a few friends of mine who are so good as to interest themselves in this matter quite an informal little dinner one or two ladies the member for belborough a home office man people who see things rather in my own way he added place and date then with mrs toplady's smile still on his lips awaited the response that lord dymchurch would much have preferred to excuse himself was visible enough in the pleasant open countenance little apt for dissembling but no less evident was the amiability which made it difficult for him to refuse a favour and which in this instance allied itself with something like a sense of duty lord dymchurch had been considerably impressed by lashmar's talk the bio sociological theory and all its consequences applied alike to his reason and his imagination he had mused over this new philosophy and the opportunity of being ever so little helpful to such a man as its originator should he felt be regarded as a privilege that he could not altogether take to lashmar was nothing to the point how often had he rebuked himself for his incrustation of prejudices social and personal which interfered between him and the living progressing world fie upon his finical spirit which dwelt so vulgarly on a man's trivial defects with pleasure he replied and as if feeling it insufficient he added with great pleasure dyce's lips forgot mrs toplady he smiled his own smile of genial satisfaction and as his way was when pleased broke into effusive talk he told of lady ogram of the political situation at hollingford of editor breakspear of the cantankerous Rob, and to all this lord dymchurch willingly lent here i should uncommonly like you to go down with me some day you might find it amusing lady ogram is undeniably a very remarkable woman immediately after this conversation lashmar wrote off to mrs toplady half a dozen exultant lines announcing his success no more wavering he said to himself fate was on his side he had but to disregard all paltry obstacles and go straight on yet one obstacle and that not altogether paltry continually haunted his mind he could not forget lady ogram's obvious intention that he should marry constance bride and such a marriage was altogether out of harmony with his ambition if it brought him money that is to say a substantial fortune he might be content to accept it but it could not be more than a compromise he aimed at a very different sort of alliance moreover he knew nothing of lady ogram's real intentions with regard to constance her mysterious phrases merely perplexed and annoyed him as often as he thought of them to marry constance without a substantial fortune that were disaster indeed and what if lady ogram's favour depended upon it but he had his little dinner to think of he wrote to mrs woolstan who by return of post blithely accepted his invitation begging him at the same time to come and see her before then if he could possibly spare an hour dyce threw the letter aside impatiently on sunday he was in pont street where he met the parliamentary mr roach a young man fairly answering to mrs toplady's description an idealist of a mild type whose favourite talk was of altruism and who whilst affecting close attention to what other people said was always absorbed in his own thoughts before lashmar had been many minutes in the drawing-room there entered mrs woolstan and she soon found an occasion for brief exchange of words with him why haven't you been to see me yet i'm so terribly busy of course i ought to have come i thought of to-morrow but now that we've met here and are going to dine on the twenty-seventh oh i know you must be busy conceded iris with panting emphasis and gladness how splendidly everything's going but i want to hear about it all you know your letter about rivenoak only made me eager to know more we'll have an afternoon presently Ask mrs toplady to introduce mr roach he dines with us on the twenty-seventh to make sure of the m p lashmar invited him verbally and received a dreamy acceptance so dreamy that he resolved to send a note to remind mr roach of the engagement so you are to be one of us at mr lashmar's dinner said the hostess to mrs woolstan a delightful evening won't it be and she watched the eager little face with eyes which read its every line remorselessly her smile more pitiless in ironic mischief even than of want. on the morning of may the twenty eighth lashmar wrote a full letter to rivenoak it told of a dinner successful beyond his hopes mrs toplady had surpassed herself in brilliant graciousness lord dymchurch had broken through his reserve and talked remarkably most remarkably as for the host why he did what in him lay and mrs toplady was good enough to remark as he handed her into her carriage a few more dinners such as this and all london will want to know the i won't finish her sentence joking apart i think my friends enjoyed themselves and they were certainly very encouraging with regard to our project at the same hour mrs toplady propped with pillows was also writing to rivenoak it came off very well indeed and i see that we must take serious account of mr lashmar you know that of course and i didn't doubt your judgment but intellectual distinction doesn't always go together with the qualities necessary to a political career beyond a doubt he is our coming man and now let me know when to expect you in london i look forward to the delight of seeing you and of making the acquaintance of your niece who must be very interesting how lucky you are to have discovered at the same time two such brilliant young people by-the-bye i have not mentioned miss tomalin to any one it occurred to me that silence in this matter was perhaps discretion if i have been needlessly reticent pray say so of course at a word from you i can speak to the right people but possibly you had rather nothing at all were said until the young lady has been seen myself i see no reason whatever for explanations as she closed this letter mrs toplady's smile all but became a chuckle nothing had so much amused her for a twelvemonth past lashmar had no reply from rivenoak this silence disappointed him ten days having elapsed he thought of writing again but there arrived a letter addressed in miss bride's hand the contents a few lines in tremulous but bold character signed a Ogram. He was invited to lunch on the next day but one at Bunting's Hotel, Albemarle Street. This same afternoon, having nothing to do, he went to call upon Mrs. Woolstan. It was his second visit since the restaurant dinner, and Iris showed herself very grateful for his condescension. She regarded him anxiously, made inquiries about his health. Was he not working too hard? His eyes looked rather heavy, as if he studied too late at night. Dice, assuming the top lady's smile admitted that he might have been rather overzealous at his constitutional history of late concession to practicality had led him to take up that subject in his thoughts he reproached himself for a freak of the previous evening a little outbreak of folly of no grave importance which had doubtless resulted from the exciting tenor of his life recently on the whole it might serve a useful purpose reminding him to be on guard against certain weaknesses of his temperament likely to be fostered by ease and liberty lady ogham is in town he announced i lunch with her to-morrow the news agitated mrs woolstan will she be alone i suppose so except for her secretary who of course is always with her iris desired to know all about the secretary and lashmar described a neutral-tinted pen-wielding young woman much interested in social reform perhaps i shall come to low lady ogram said iris modestly i may meet her at mrs toplady's that would be delightful i should be able to follow everything much better to be sure was the rather dry response but i should be surprised if the old lady stays long or sees many people her health is of the shakiest and london life would be a dangerous experiment i should say i don't at all know why she's coming unless it is to see doctors oh i do hope she'll be careful panted iris what a terrible thing it would be if she died suddenly terrible for you i mean she ought to have someone to look well after her indeed she ought i wish this with a laugh she would take me as companion oh wouldn't i have a care of her precious health when he drove to bunting's hotel he had no thought of seeing anyone but lady ogram and constance the possibility that there might be other guests at luncheon did not enter his mind conducted to a private drawing-room on the first floor he became aware as the door opened of a handsome girl in animated conversation with his two friends she seemed so very much at home that he experienced a little shock as of the unaccountable the disconcerting and his eyes with difficulty turned from this new face to that of the venerable hostess here again a surprise awaited him lady Ogham looked so much younger that when he took leave of her at rivenoak that he marvelled at the transformation notwithstanding her appearance she spoke in a strained feeble voice often indistinct one noticed too that she was harder of hearing having pressed his hand a very faint pressure though meant for cordial lady ogram turned a look upon the bright young lady near her and said with a wheezy emphasis let me introduce you to my niece miss tomalin never had lashmar known her so ceremonious never had she appeared so observant of his demeanour during the social formality overcome with astonishment at what he heard he bowed stiffly but submissively the autocrat watched him with severe eyes and only when his salute was accomplished did the muscles of her visage again relax mechanically he turned to bow in the same way to miss bride but she at once offered her hand with a friendly how do you do my niece miss tomalin where on earth did this niece spring from everybody understood that lady ogram was alone in the world constance had expressly affirmed it yet here was she smiling in the most natural way possible as if nieces abounded at rivenoak dyce managed to talk but he heard not a word from his own lips and his eyes fixed on lady ogram's features noted the indubitable fact that her complexion was artificial this astounding old woman at the age of fourscore had begun to paint so confused was dyce's state of mind that on perceiving the truth of the matter he all but uttered an exclamation perhaps only miss Tomlin's voice arrested him my aunt has told me all about your new socialism mr lashmar you can't think how it has put my mind at rest one has so felt that one ought to be a socialist and yet there were so many things one couldn't accept it's delightful to see everything reconciled all one wants to keep and all the new things that must come may had been developing she spoke with a confidence which on softer notes emulated that of her aged relative she carried her head with a conscious stateliness which might have been perhaps was deliberately studied after the portrait in the rivenoak dining-room harmonious with this change was that in her attire fashion had done its best to transform the aspiring young provincial into a metropolitan grace the result being that miss tomalin seemed to have grown in stature to exhibit a more notable symmetry so that she filled more space in the observer's eye than heretofore for all that she looked no older her self-assertion though more elaborate was not a bit more impressive and the phrases she used the turn of her sentences the colour of her speech very little resembled anything that would have fallen from a damsel bred in the modish world her affectation was shot through with spontaneity her impertinence had a juvenile seriousness which made it much more amusing than offensive and a feminine charm in her striving to prevail over incongruous elements made clear appeal to the instincts of the other sex that is very encouraging was lashmar's reply if only one's thoughts can be of any help to others what time is it broke in lady ogram why doesn't that man come what business has he to keep us waiting it's only just half-past one said miss bride then he ought to be here she turned to lashmar i'm expecting a friend you've heard of sir william amos how long are we to sit here waiting for him i wonder what do you think of herbert spencer mr lashmar inquired may dyce's reply was rendered doubly unnecessary by the opening of the door and the announcement of the awaited guest "Willie, Willie!" cried lady ogram with indulgent reproof you always used to be so punctual the gentleman thus familiarly addressed had grey hair and walked with a stoop in the shoulders his age was sixty but he looked rather older lady ogram who had known him as a boy still saw him in that light his pleasant face full of sagacity and good-humour wore a gently deprecating smile as he stepped forward and whether intentionally or not he smoothed with one hand his long grizzled beard this is military he exclaimed are not a few minutes grace granted to a man of peace when he comes to eat your salt and how are you my dear lady how are you never was better in my life Willie shrilled lady ogram her voice slipping out of control in her excitement do you know who this is i could make a guess the face speaks for itself ah you see the likeness may shake hands with sir william and make friends with him he and i knew each other a lifetime before you were born and this is mr lashmar our future member for hollingford if the voters are as kind to me as lady ogram said dyce laughing the baronet gave his hand and regarded the young man with shrewd observation sir william had no part in public life and was not predisposed in favour of parliamentary ambitions he lived quietly in a london suburb knowing only a few congenial people occupying himself with the history of art on which he was something of an authority his father had been a friend of sir quentin ogram and thus arose his early familiarity with the lady of rivenoak they went to table in an adjoining room and for a few minutes there was talk between the hostess and sir william about common acquaintances lashmar the while kept turning his look towards miss tomalin with his astonishment had begun to mingle feelings of interest and attraction he compared miss tomalin's personal appearance with that of constance bride and at once so hardened towards the latter that he could not bring his eyes to regard her again at the same time he perceived with gratification that lady ogram's niece was not heedless of his presence once at least their looks came to the encounter with quick self-recovery on the young lady's part and a conscious smile dyce began to think her very good-looking indeed sir william's remark recurred to him and he saw an undeniable resemblance in the girl's features to those of lady ogram's early portrait he grew nervously desirous to know something about her presently conversation directed itself towards the subject with which lashmar was connected sir william appeared by no means eager to discuss political or social themes but may tomalin could not rest till they were brought forward and her aunt who seemed to have no desire but to please her and put her into prominence helped them on are you going to stand as a socialist asked the baronet of lashmar with some surprise when may's talk had sufficiently confused him dyce quietly explained a shadow of the top lady smile about his lips that his socialism was not social democracy for my own part declared Sir William, i want to hear a little more of men and a little less of government that we're moving into socialism of one kind or another is plain enough and it goes against the grain with me i'm afraid we're losing our vigour as individuals it's all very well to be a good citizen but it's more important don't you think to be a man i quite see your point sir william said lashmar his eyes brightening as they always did when he found his opportunity for borrowed argument and learning clearly there's an excess to be avoided individuality mustn't be lost sight of but i can make absolutely no distinction between The terms man and citizen to my mind they are synonymous for man only came into being when he ceased to be animal by developing the idea of citizenship in my view the source of all our troubles is found in that commonly accepted duality it did n't exist in the progressive ancient world the dualism of man and state began with the decline of greco roman civilization and was perpetuated by the teaching of christianity the philosophy of epicurus and of zeno an utter detachment from the business of mankind prepared the way for the spirit of the gospels so at length we get our notion of church and state a separation ruinous to religion and making impossible anything like perfection in politics it has thoroughly rooted in people's minds that fatal distinction between man as a responsible soul and man as a member of society our work is to restore the old monism very very slowly mankind is working towards it a revolution greater than any of those commonly spoke of so wide and deep that it isn't easily taken in even by students of history a revolution which is the only hope of civilization has been going on since the close of the thirteenth century we are just beginning to be dimly conscious of it perhaps in another century it will form the principle of liberalism the baronet heard all this with some surprise he had not been prepared for such solidity of doctrine from lady ogram's candidate and at the luncheon-table as for may tomlin she had listened delightedly her lips savoured the words dualism and monism of which she resolved to make brave use in her own argumentative displays the first to speak was constance we are getting on very quickly she said in her driest and most practical tone towards one ideal of socialism look at the way in which municipalities are beginning to undertake and sometimes monopolize work which used to be left to private enterprise before long we shall have local authorities engaged in banking pawnbroking coal supplying tailoring estate agency printing all these and other undertakings are already proposed may cast a glance of good-natured envy at the speaker how she wished he could display such acquaintance with public life but the information was stored for future use why there you are exclaimed the baronet that's just what i'm afraid of it's the beginning of tyranny it'll mean the bad work of a monopoly instead of the good to be had by free competition you favour this kind of thing mr lashmar in so far as it signifies growth of the ideas of citizenship and of association but it interests me much less than purely educational questions whatever influence i may gain will be used towards a thorough reconstruction of our system of popular schooling i believe nothing serious can be done until we have a truly civic education for the masses of the people this was the outcome of lashmar's resolve to be practical whilst adhering to his philosophy he knew that it sounded well this demand for educational reform however vague in reality it gave the ordinary hearer a quasi intelligible phrase to remember and repeat Sir William amos was not proof against the plausibility of such words he admitted that one might do worse than devote oneself to that question popular schooling heaven knew being much in need of common-sense reform dyce tactfully pressed his advantage he ridiculed the extravagance of educationalism run mad its waste of public money the harm it does from a social point of view and the longer he spoke the better pleased was sir william to hear him their hostess silent and closely attentive smiled with satisfaction constance meanwhile noted the countenance of may Tomlin, which exhibited the same kind of pleased approval only a day or two ago may speaking on this subject had expressed views diametrically opposite after luncheon lady Ogram held lashmar in talk whilst the two young ladies conversed with the baronet apart dyce had hoped for a little gossip with miss tomlin but no chance offered discretion bade him take leave before Sir William had given sign of rising i don't know how long we shall be in town said lady Ogram, who did not seek to detain him but of course we shall see you again we shall generally be at home at five o'clock he had hoped for a more definite and more cordial invitation issuing into albemarle street he looked vaguely about him and wondered how he should get through the rest of the afternoon a dull sky hastened the failure of his spirits when in a few minutes rain began to fall he walked on under his umbrella thoroughly cheerless and objectless then it struck him that he would go presently to pont street mrs toplady might help him to solve the mystery of lady ogram's niece confound lady ogram's niece her appearance could not have been more inopportune the old lady was obviously quite taken up with her and as likely as not would lose all her interest in politics here was the explanation of her not having answered his last long letter confound miss what was the foolish name tomalin and yet and yet there glimmered another aspect of the matter suppose miss tomalin followed her aunt's example and saw in him a coming man and seriously interested herself in his fortunes then indeed she would be by no means a superfluous young person for who could say to what such interests might lead miss tomlin would be her aunt's heiress or so one might reasonably suppose and she was a very pretty girl as well as intelligent could it be that the real course of his destiny was only just beginning to reveal itself by this time he felt better to pass an hour he went into his club read the papers and looked vainly for lord dymchurch greatly to his surprise he found the world shunning nobleman in mrs toplady's drawing-room the hostess and he alone together it was early and seeming to have been engaged in rather intimate talk oh this is nice exclaimed mrs toplady what have you to tell us little of interest i am afraid except that i have lunched to-day with lady ogram and made the acquaintance of her niece we were speaking of her said the hostess with very pronounced mischief at the corner of her lips and eyes excessively gracious you know miss tomalin lashmar inquired rather abruptly of lord dymchurch i have met her once was the colourless reply dyce wished to ask where and when but of course could not he resented this advantage of lord dymchurch she is very clever the hostess was saying and quite charming a canadian you know by birth such a fresh way of looking at things so bright and other callers were announced lord dymchurch looked his desire to escape but sat on you would have thought him a man with a troubled conscience End of chapter twelve